All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, I've been looking at what we are now in Christ. And so today I want to kind of park on a verse that I just kind of skimmed over last time. And that's going to be in verse number 6. But let's look at verse 1 through 6 and let me read that this morning to you. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1 through 6. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as I approach your word, please, Lord, use me as your servant to speak forth the word of God to your people so they understand it, so they can practice it, so they can consider it in their mind and think about it. And Lord, in thinking about it, it would transform them. It would help them to see who they are in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we would all come to know the power that is now working in us because we're now believers. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, um, I have been saying that only when you see what you once were without Christ can you more fully understand what God has done for you by His grace in Christ. I've been saying that all along because that's an important theme throughout the book of Ephesians. And just as Scripture wants us to understand our position before God in sin, that the character and the characteristics, of course, that permeated our lives when we were outside of Christ, that is, before God began to act upon you with resurrection power, and you and I, before you and what you and I once were pre-conversion, and what were we? We were unbelievers. We were outside of Christ. Oh yes, we could have been ethical and moral and religious and good in the eyes of other people and in our own eyes, but we were not Christian in the biblical sense of the word. As described in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, which shows us what we really were outside of Christ. And the Word of God wants us to know, wants us to know how we looked, how we were. That the man who is not a Christian is a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins. He is being led about according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now is working in the children of disobedience, and his manner of life was in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And of course, he was under the wrath of God by nature. So by your 
new position as a Christian. It is exactly the opposite of the person who is not a Christian. That you are new. So that means we believers need to understand our new position in Christ. That is what we are after God began to act upon us in resurrection power. In other words, what you and I are now post-conversion. So when new life in Christ is contrasted with the old life, it becomes clear that you are not the person you used to be. And you don't live where you used to live before. You and I are completely different. We are, especially in what we are, what we were and what we are are two different things once you come to know Christ. And the Spirit of God now indwells you, and the Word of God now is transforming you, you're going to be different every day. And the last time I left off in this passage in verse number 6, which says this, notice with me, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I kind of want to park here this morning before I go on to the next passage because we're still examining what you are, verses 4 through 6. So from Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 6, we learn that our new position right now in salvation is unto exaltation. That right now, literally, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes that's hard to understand. It's hard to grasp your, your mind around that because you are still here. You still live in this world. You still have tribulation and trouble. You still get sick. You still deal with issues every day. But remember, we are raised to life. We are not left in the graveyard. We have been rescued from spiritual death and been given spiritual life. And we have been raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And of course, the heavenly places means that we have been taken out of the sphere where Satan rules and we are placed in the sphere where God rules. That is the, the f- fundamental definition of, of that. And of course, we are seated. In fact, the stress here in the text is that of the ap- absoluteness of his promise by speaking of it as if it had already or fully taken place. That the power domain of darkness is where unbelievers dwell before conversion to Christ. But you're no longer there. We all live, we all lived in a power domain where everyone was wholly in its grip. We were absolutely subject to it. We were helpless to gain any escape from that. And in that domain, as I mentioned already, love, the love of darkness abounds where the Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Hatred abounds towards God and his people. Where John says, the one who hates his brother is in darkness because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And of course, there is no fellowship with the true and living God that takes place in the sphere of darkness. John even says again, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. 
and we do not practice the truth. So darkness is ungodliness. It's opposition to God. It's estrangement from God, and it includes all the dreadful evils which are involved in the evil state of heart and mind that we were born into. By nature, we were those kind of people. That the power of sin and the tyranny of error and the slavery of corruption, these things are everywhere, and they were everywhere in our life and are characteristic even now of all human existence and nature. You cannot get away from it no matter where you go in this world. And I said when I started out our teaching in Ephesians that in each generation, starting with my own, of course, before that, there has always been a push to get rid of the remnants of God. Every generation since, by its own particular characteristics, added to that dearth of the absence of the knowledge of the living God wherever you go in society. God's not welcome anymore. He never was. That's where we all lived. But since you came to Christ, did you know that you don't live there anymore? Did you know that? That our great God has moved his children from the spiritual graveyard where Satan rules, where fleshly desires and cravings dominate and enslave, and where the world system constantly changes with every passing day. He has moved us to the heavenly realm. Where our good and merciful and loving God rules with all power and authority now and forever. In other words, from last time, you are what you are. If you are indeed now a believer in Jesus Christ, you are what you are by the rich mercy of God. You are what you are by the great love of God. You are what you are by God's saving, sustaining grace. And you are what you are by God's great power to transfer you and I from one dark realm to the realm of light. And so right now, you and I dwell in the realm of light. So then... Being a Christian means to enter into the realm where God rules. To be a Christian means to be taken out of that horrible darkness, out of a life of sin and shame and evil, and to begin a life anew with a new heart and a new desire. It means now you belong to him. You belong to Christ, where the Lord says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Christianity is to belong to God, who is light. And of course, in him there is no darkness at all. In the realm of light is also the realm of glory. It is also the realm of holiness and purity and peace everlasting. See, that is the inheritance of the saints. So this Lord's Day, I would like to explain a little bit further about the transfer that has been made to a true believer of Jesus Christ. That is the transfer from the sphere where we used to live into the sphere where we now live 
as children of the Father. Because we have been transferred to a new place. A place that no one could arrive. A place that no one could arrive at on their own, by their own understanding or according to their own ability or power. That is, no one can raise themselves to spiritual life. No one can seat themselves in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It can only happen by the rich mercy and the great grace and deep love of our powerful God. It's the only way it could happen. And now that this transfer has, been, has taken place, there, is, there are some things we need to start considering. Every day of our life, we need to start considering this. Every day we need to think about our new position in Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies yet still live here on earth? Well, there's at least three things. There's more than that, but there's at least three things. The first one is this. The first thing to consider, the first thing to con- con- think about is that, that you no longer belong to this world. You no longer belong. Oh, yes, you're in it, but you are no longer of the world. It is like when we were learning from the patriarchs in the the book of Hebrews that they considered themselves, what? Strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In fact, just take your Bibles and turn back to Hebrews. Or if you keep going forward, you'll finally hit Hebrews. Chapter 11 That's where we met the great chapter on faith. But like Abraham, in verse number 9, he had no citizenship. It says in verse number 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. In verse number 9, he had no citizenship. He was an alien. He was in a foreign land. He had also no permanent settlement. He dwelt, it says here, in tents. And if you dwell in a tent, that's not a permanent place. You're there for a little bit, and then not long you pull up stakes and move to another place. The Word of God uses another word called sojourner, that he was a sojourner in a foreign land, meaning that 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 word Jorn in the middle of that word means day. That means you, you, you stay in a place from day to day. That's what a tent dweller is, that they move on from one place to another. And then and look at verse number 13 of Hebrews 11. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Have you considered that in your own life? Have you considered yourself an alien in this strange world? Someone who is not home yet? Someone who is pretty much living in a tent and is a foreigner in this land? Have you felt that way? Have you considered yourself in that way? Well, you know what? That's the way we must see ourselves. If we're going to realize what it means to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies, you no longer belong to this world. We, 
are no longer people of this world. The course of this world is no longer in control. And growing in the knowledge of God pierces the darkness with the light of truth. So we're no longer children, ignorant of what God is doing or who God is. We are no longer to be led around by the changing wind of human cunning and the craftiness of deceitful schemes. No longer should we be, we, we be there. So today, you have to consider yourself as delivered from this present world. In another place, it says it this way, in Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sin so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. And then consider yourself to be overcomers. In 1 John 5, verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And who is, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes in Jesus, the Son of God. We're overcomers. We're travelers just passing through. And we're citizens of another place, another heavenly place. In Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're tw tent dwellers in a strange land. We're pilgrims, and never, we never feel quite home. And we're, what are we doing while we're here? We're waiting for Christ. We're waiting to be in his presence. Either he comes first or we go to him. And then what are we waiting with? A desire. A new desire in Hebrews 11:10 it says a new desire to be home in, in uh, verse 11 I mean verse 10 of chapter 11 of Hebrews it says for he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God that's what he was looking for he was desiring that and so that's what God does to us when he saves us he gives us he starts letting us know how, how we're really living in this world, that we're only here for a short period of time, and that while we're here, we're not to be friends of the world, because friendship with the world is hostility towards God, James tells us, and whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And also, we're no longer people who are loving this world. First John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we are these things, and we're left as ambassadors in this world. An ambassador is somebody from a country that goes to another country and represents that country. Well, we're citizens of heaven representing God on earth. That's what we're doing. And what are we supposed to do? Witness. We're supposed to be the light of the world. See, studying Scripture will give you an increasing desire for heaven. That's what it'll do. It always does that. So if you're faithful to study and read the Word of God, it will start diminishing your desire for this world. And it'll start showing you what you're supposed to do while you're here. So see, living in, a, in the he heavenly realm practically is that you are thinking about, I'm, this world is no longer my home. I have another home. That's where I'm heading. A second thing is this. A second thing to consider is that you are no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to sin. It doesn't 
reign over your life anymore. In fact, you could take your Bibles and turn to Romans, because in Romans chapter 6, in verse number 11, the Word of God does tell us there, in very clear terms, it says, even so, Romans 6, 11, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Consider yourself to be dead to sin. You know what that means? Think about it. Consider is a word that is connected to a word that means to think. Think about that sin no longer reigns over you any longer. You are dead to it. And remember, when I, would say, I said last time, being dead to sin does not mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you're without sin or that you shall never sin again. What it means is that you no longer belong to the realm of sin, wherein we were dominated by sin and under its power and governed in various ways by lust and desires of the flesh. We don't live there anymore why we're dead to sin but notice in verse number 11 we're not only dead to sin but we're alive to something else we're alive to God in Christ Jesus so think on that the content of Romans 6 has to do with the reign of the principle of sin in our life and then in verse number 12 of Romans 6 therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so as to obey its lust. So there's something we don't allow, we don't have to allow to happen anymore, and that is to have sin reign over us. It's no longer our master. It's no longer our king. Jesus is our king. So see, self has been crucified on Calvary's cross so that it may be re- rendered powerless to enslave us again. And the only way it's going to enslave you is if you let it, is if you give, give it permission. In fact, you can identify your sin as a believer and stop the reign of sin in your heart, in your mind, and your will. Why? Because you have the power of God working in you. That's why. A second thing under this one is that you can put off your sin and replace it with righteousness. In Colossians, it goes on to tell us in this Uh, book in Colossians chapter 3 verse number 5, you can put off decisively the things of the flesh, putting to death sensual sins, like in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to what? To immorality, to impurity, to passions, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to to idolatry, so you can put to death sensual sins, sins that are attractive to the cravings of the remaining corruption in us. And then also we can put aside social sins, right? which is found in Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9. And social sins are considered to be what it says in verse number 8, but now you also put them all aside. What is it? Anger? and wrath, and malice, and slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And do not, don't lie to one another. These are, these are the social interactions we have with people that we can put to death if they once ruled our life. If that's how we got things done before, if you're a believer, that ends. 
But you have to consider that. You have to recognize your sin and then put that sin to death. And then when you do that, you can put on righteousness. So it must be clear to you that conversion to Jesus Christ brings with it a new capacity with which we now may serve God and righteousness. The life of God within the believer begets a new nature. That believers, for believers, it is paramount that you grasp what God has done for you and in you, and that you should begin to practice what is already true of, true in principle. That the, this principle of the new nature is in you, working in you, that Christ is your new master, and that you don't allow, you don't have to allow the, these sins to dominate you anymore because of the power working in you. And so therefore, we have to consider that. Look at your life. Examine yourself. How are you doing in these areas? Are you putting these things to death, or are you nurturing them? Are you still enjoying them? Are you still fantasizing about them? Are you still just allowing them to linger in your life? The Bible says, no, put them to death. You have the capacity to do that now. Where Corinthians tells us that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That all believers will experience transformed life with the decided difference between the old lifestyle that you once lived and the way you used to do things and the way you used to think about things and the way you used to plot things to a whole new sphere in which you think about things differently and you plan things differently and you respond differently in different situations from your own inner thoughts in your heart that no one else knows about except you to the very things that come out of your mouth and the actions that come from your your, your body towards other people. You can put all those things, examine them, put them to death, and then change behavior because Christ has given you the power to do so. See, that's what it means to live in the heavenly realm. We act like Christ here by his spirit. Christ is, what is he doing in our life? He's transforming us into his image, right? And that's how it looks so see, a transformed life looks differently because Christ is working in you. Now you may ask, if that is true, why do Christians still struggle with sin? Well, Christians still struggle with sin because the new self must contend with the flesh, with the old. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the flesh includes all the sinful desires, drives, passions associated with our humanness. It's still there. But see, you're in the driver's seat now by the Spirit of God and His Word, not your sin. Why do we let our sin dictate? Why do we let the world dictate? Why do we let Satan still dictate? Uh, we don't have to do that. So, see, our old self, the man of the flesh, that is the unsaved, unregenerate self, that this old, wretched, depraved, sinful self, It has a capacity, of course, to obey lusts, but it has no capacity or desire to serve and live for God. See, without God, without His Spirit, without His Word in one's life, 
One's life is driven by all kinds of sinful cravings and passions leading to all kinds of self-centered, sinful pursuits. That's, that's where we were, but now we're new. Now we have the Spirit of God, that the new self is the born-again self. It is the new creature in Christ, and only the Christian has the capacity to consider themselves dead to sin, alive to God, with the ability and the will to serve and please God. That's what God has done in us. He's given us that desire Loving God's word, loving God's son includes hating sin and desiring to pursue righteousness. So that means that salvation is not a matter of improvement or perfection of what we previously existed in, but a matter of comprehensive transformation into the image of Christ until we're in Christ's presence because we're waiting for Christ where we will be perfect. So while we're here, sojourning on this earth, aliens and pilgrims, with a desire for not to stay here, but to go home to be with the Lord, then we are, in the meantime, serving God, and we're dealing, he's dealing with us in our body, in our mind, in our flesh, uh, to transform us into the image of Christ. See, that means that the unsaved person has only one capacity. The unsaved person has only one course of action. Of course, what is that? To serve sin? To serve self? And leave God out of his life. But the believer has an option. He may serve God. And of course, as long as he is in the human body, but he will do so in the struggle with his flesh that desires to leave God out and live according to its former lust and passions. You know, a great example in, in the Word of God is found in John chapter 8. Let's just turn there real quick. John chapter 8, in verse number 9. This is, of course, where the Lord was talking to the woman caught in adultery. And as he was talking with her, it, it, this is an interesting passage of Scripture because it says in verse number 9, it says, When they heard it, they began to go out one by one. Of course, the Lord said, uh, if anybody's without sin, go start casting uh, the stones at her. And of course, everybody realized and were convicted that they were all sinners. So no one picked up any stones to stone this adulterer, which they should have, because the Old Testament says that adulterers should be stoned to death. It was a crime that uh, was judged by the law, which meant death. Right? But notice in verse number 9, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court, in verse 10, Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. And then he said this, Go, and notice what he says, From now on, sin no more. That's an incredible statement. You know why? Did she have the ability 
to go and sin no more. In and of herself, no, but if the Lord didn't condemn her, she is now able to now go and sin no more because Jesus Christ did not hold condemnation on her, and so she was transferred in believing in Christ from the kingdom of darkness and bondage of her sin of adultery to a sphere being forgiven by the Lord of light and with the ability now to walk away and sin no more. That's what a believer is. I can walk away and sin no more. That sin that was dominating my life. Well, I'll have to deal with other sins. That's true. But see, in this context is where we find this passage too in John 8.12, which I mentioned when I started out this morning then jesus uh, again spoke to them saying i am the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the life the light of life it is when we meet christ that we are changed that we are transformed and that when it comes to sin the only way to deal with sin as a believer is swiftly and radically you put sin to death. That's what you do. And then there's a third thing that you can do with resurrection power working in you in Colossians 3.10. And that's simply this. Having put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, you put off sin and you just don't stop there. When we repent of sin, we just don't put off the sin. You know why? He'll creep back in. What we do instead is if, if we put on new clothing. We put on the clothing of righteousness. The process of renewal brings, of course, increased knowledge of how the Lord wants us to live our life, that the Holy Spirit wants to etch the likeness of Jesus into our characters. And this is how he does it. And so, what are some of the marks of the genuine new self within you if you are a believer? Well, I, it's real, real simple from the Word of God. You have a nature now that loves God. I love the Lord. It's that, you know, you shall love the Lord with all your, your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I can do that by the power of the Spirit of God. I have a nature that loves God. Also, I have a nature with an appetite for spiritual things. I want God's Word, all right? Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word. That doesn't mean you long for it just when you become a baby Christian and then somewhere down the line it peters out. No, you long for it your whole life. You desire God's word. You desire what God has for you. You have a new nature, an appetite for spiritual things like you never had before. You were never interested in this stuff before. You were never interested to read the word of God before. You were never interested in learning about the character of God or learning about putting away your sin or learning about what's coming next in God's program. You weren't interested about that, but now you are. You long for it. You, you go to bed thinking about it. You want to know more. You, you never feel like you have enough. You want to know more. And you have a, a longing also for holiness. You want to keep set apart to God. You want to obey what the Lord says, be holy for I am holy. You have also a nature that senses the resistance between the, the new self and the flesh. 
right? Like Romans tells us, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You, you sense the struggle in your soul between disobeying and obeying, right? It's there every day. You, you and I struggle with that every single day. And you know what? Sometimes the flesh uh, seems, and the cravings of the flesh just pop up, and you just want to go with it. And because of something you're not satisfied with in life, and you see the Lord says at that point, stop it, because that's only the resistance between what the Spirit of God wants you to do and what the flesh wants you to do. You also have a nature with a growing sensitivity to sin. You are sensitive to what's going on in your thoughts. You're sensitive to how you speak to people. You're sensitive to what's going on in your conscience. You're sensitive to sin. It's like Proverbs tells us that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. All right? That you want to confess your sin. You can't even wait. You run to the Lord with your sins. The Lord, I've fallen on my face. I've sinned against you. And so therefore, Lord, I want to turn from it. I want to repent of it. I want to make things right in my life. You have, you're very sensitive to sin as the, you're growing in the knowledge of God. Have you seen that in your new nature? Is that there in your life? Are you, are you considering these things? Are they, am I speaking to the wall or are they a reality to you? I'm, I'm talking to, to you about this being real once you come to Christ. You no longer live where you used to live. You're no longer who you used to be. You have a new nature, and a nature that avoids everything condemned in God's Word. So you want to be like Joshua, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. If God says it in the Word of God, you're ready to obey it. You may not understand all the principles and implications of a particular text or or passage, but you know that I ought to obey this. And, of course, you want to obey it now. So sometime a true believer will fall. He'll f- fail to do these things. But nonetheless, it will still be the regular direction of their life. That's the way they want to go. And so the goal of this through the knowledge of of the word of God renews the mind and conforms the believer to the image of Christ. So Paul tells the Roman church, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, for what? To become conformed to the image of his son. So that's the goal. That's God's goal for you, to make you like Jesus. So, see... Being seated with Christ in the heavenly place while you're still on earth means that you consider that the world is no longer where you live anymore. It no longer has control over you anymore. Secondly, that you consider that you are no longer a slave to sin. But here's a third and the last thing to think about. To consider that you are no longer under the dominion of Satan and his kingdom. This may be the most powerful one against you of all of these because Satan still wants you to think that, number one, you're not a believer if you are a believer, that you can't overcome your sin, that 
you are not new, and he just wants to plant discouragement and doubts in your mind constantly. That's what he does. He does. He wants to keep you blinded. And so, see, Satan is still the ruler of the air, according to Ephesians 2, but he is no longer your ruler. He is still working in the sons of disobedience, as Ephesians 2 tells us, but he can no longer work in you. He can no longer work in you. For greater he who is in you than he who is in the world. But he wants you to think he can. And then Satan hides himself in order to blind and deceive, but you have a knowledge available in the Word of God that exposes his character, his lies, and his schemes. That's why Ephesians is heading there. You are going to be able to stand up against the wiles, the schemes, the tripwires of Satan. You are going to be able to do that. You are going to be able to recognize what he is doing in your life. Why? Because you're growing in knowledge. You're growing in truth. You're growing in the light of God's word, and it's exposing who he is, and he don't like that. See, the word of God tells us about his character, that he's walking and roaming about, seeking someone to devour. He disguises himself as the character of an angel of light. And his present work is still active. He wants to tempt you to sin. He wants to ensnare you. He wants to blind you. He wants to persuade you that you are going the wrong way and you should go this way. He wants to take the good seed of the Word of God out of people's hearts. He wants to plant tares in the church. He wants to harass and hinder and sift and accuse the brethren. That's what he wants to do, and he will continue to do that. But I know who he is. He is limited in his being and absolutely subject to God. Satan is a created angel. He is under God's control. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful. Satan cannot do everything he wants to do. He can only do what is permitted. He is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere. Satan cannot be everywhere at the same time tempting everyone. That's why he has a minion of demons doing his work in the world. So see, if he hates Christ, he's going to hate you. And he's going to be against you. But see, God's for us. And if God is for us, then he can't even be against us. See, God has given Satan really no dominion over man, and that dominion only comes because of sin. For the word of God tells us, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And then Colossians also tells us that we have, he went and disarmed the rulers and authorities uh, and put an end to them. So Satan is cast out and waiting God's judgment. He is bound and waiting God's final cast into the lake of fire. He is awaiting judgment, according to Jude chapter 6. And he is ultimately going to be doomed, according to Revelation 20, 10, where it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's his judgment already. He cannot be rescued from that. So you have to consider yourself... 
that you are no longer under the dominion of Satan and his kingdom. So, see, we must strike a scriptural balance between the truth that Satan is crushed, defeated, and that the truth that he is on the prowl like a hungry lion, that he is not a reigning foe in your life anymore. But we're to take him seriously. Don't get me wrong. We, we could never really resist him, stand against him, divert and quench his fiery missiles unless we have the armor of God on, unless we are believers in Christ Jesus. We can't do that. So see, to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies while we're still living here on earth as a believer means at least we are to consider ourselves no longer belonging to this world, no longer a slave to sin, and no longer under the dominion of Satan in his kingdom. Go this week and consider this. See, if we're going to have victory that the Lord promised us, then we have to be thinking about the things that Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. And when we do, then, believe me, everything changes in your life. Your whole worldview changes when the Word of God begins to transform you. In fact, you're going to be concerned now, according to Romans 12, you're going to be concerned and delight in what? Giving yourself over as a living sacrifice because of God's mercy. So what? So your mind can be transformed so you can know the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. That's what you're going to want to know. Before you didn't care about it, but now you care about it. That's what I want to know. And the word of God, of course, the prescriptive will of God is the word of God that teaches us and helps us every day to learn about this new person that I am in Christ. And in doing so, we gained and established a victory that Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for the word of God. I praise you, Lord, for how it pierces like a sword. And I pray, Lord, today that your people, including myself, Lord, would always be thinking about that we are not the people we used to be. We now have come to Christ that we're new. And because of this newness, there are certain things that have changed in our life. And I pray, Lord, that your people would go home and consider them every day that they would find the, know the resurrection power that's in them to overcome these things and to know that they are overcomers and victorious in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would not allow the enemy to rob us of our joy, but we would know every day that because of your rich mercy and your great love and your sustaining grace and your great power to transform us from one dark realm to the realm of light is real and that we can actually live for Christ with the power of God's Spirit, knowing that the Lord is working on us and transforming us into the image of Christ, and that's going to take place. So Lord, every day help us to understand that we're just aliens in this world, that we're heading to our 
heavenly place and that while we're here, Lord, make us your ambassadors so we can be good witnesses for Christ Jesus. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.